Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Today, we're taking a trip into Death Valley National Park, and this is a land of extremes. It's the hottest, driest, and the lowest of all the national parks. You're going to find Death Valley at the northernmost part of the Mojave Desert, and it's a place that has five mountain ranges. And we're going to start on this episode with a tour through 10 things that we're going to recommend that you can do in Death Valley, 10 things that we have done, but we'll split this episode up into two. So we're going to cover five things today and we'll cover the next five things next time. And before we dive into the things that you can do in this fantastic national park, let's take a little peek at its history, huh? little history on the, uh, the national park itself. We will be speaking about Death Valley and the, these 10 places that we've visited over two visits that we've made. We do love this park. It is phenomenal. I hear for some it's not and they don't really enjoy it and, you know, whatever your cup of tea is. But for us, it is the most phenomenal national park I've ever seen. Yeah, I think some people don't have an affinity for the desert. Yeah, And sure. th- this is one of those places that if you can warm up to the desert, there is so much here. Was that a joke? Warm up to the desert? No. <laughs> that was funny. I made a joke. <laughs> I didn't even know it. It's history. President Herbert Hoover proclaimed this land a monument, a national monument, and it was in and around the Death Valley on February 11th, 1933. He set aside nearly 2 million acres of the southeastern California part of this land in a small little section of Nevada. The Great Depression hit And in the early 1940s, the Civilian Conservation Corps, or the CCC as they called it, developed some infrastructure in this area. And they installed some water lines, pipelines, they put in telephone lines, they graded at least 500 miles of road, and they built 76 structures on this land. They also had some trails that were built to points where there was some kind of uh, scenic interest. They have built five campgrounds, they built restrooms, and they actually had a landing field for airplanes that was completed there. For airplanes or for the aliens? Well, some would say aliens. Because Area 51 is just next door in Nevada. Yes. So after declaring this a monument, it was temporarily closed to prospecting and mining. And Congress would reopen those types of activities in 1933. And the big open pits and the strip mines that scarred the landscape caused a huge public outcry. And it led to greater protections through Congress for all the national parks, not just Death Valley, but 
all the parks throughout the United States. Yeah. I mean, on our most recent trip to Death Valley, we were, I think when we were going to Dante's Peak, we had passed by a section of the park where it looked like there was some kind of mining operation yeah. going yeah, there on. Was. Yeah, and, like and strip looked, mining. It looked really out of place yeah. to me in yeah. a national park. So mm-hmm. I guess stuff like that maybe still goes on. It does. Yeah. It does. I'm sure that there is areas that have some kind of substance that can be readily sold and made money from. So, you know, sometimes you need these substances. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 1984, Death Valley National Monument was designated as a biosphere reserve. And 10 years later in 1994... That was the big earthquake that we had, 1994. In Northridge, yeah. In Northridge, yeah. The monument, Death Valley Monument, was expanded to 1.3 million acres and redesignated as a national park. So this elevated the status of Death Valley and made it the largest national park in the United States. In the contiguous United States. In the contiguous United States with 3.4 million acres. That's a massive amount of land. And that also made it bigger than Yellowstone Mm -hmm. at, at that point. Yeah. Through most of our lifetimes when we were younger, the Death Valley area, and I had known about it, but it didn't dawn on me until recently that during our time growing up, it wasn't considered a national park. It was right. just this monument area. And maybe that's why when I was growing up, for whatever reason, it wasn't as much on my radar as it has been in more recent years. Yeah, same here. And yeah. I, we never visited as kids yeah. to, to that. Because now I'm on a mission to visit as many of the national parks as right. I can. And this one's in our backyard as residents of California. Yeah. So let's start to dive into at least five of the places on today's episode that you can visit on a trip to Death Valley. So depending which way it is that you get there, there's a couple of routes that you can take. On our most recent trip, we talked about last time driving up through Baker and going up that way. And if you go up that road, you're going to hit some sites that you can visit that we talked about on the last episode. But if you instead, if you're coming in from California, driving from the west off of 395 and then get onto Highway 190, one of the first notable stops that you're going to encounter, and it's the first, I think, main stop that you and I had hit the very first Mm -hmm. time we went to Death Valley, was the Father Crowley Vista Point. It's an overlook that you're going to reach before you get into the main part of Death Valley. It's named after a Catholic priest. Father John Crowley, and he's a an individual who would minister to the people of Inyo County Parish back in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. He was known as the Desert Padre, and Father Crowley would often stop at this particular overlook to admire the views on his routes when he was visiting parishioners between Death Valley and his home, which was in Lone Pine, California. And when you pull your car over in this area today, there's a small parking area you're going to see a dramatic view into what is called Rainbow Canyon and a vista that overlooks the Panamint Valley. So it's a spectacular view. And in recent years, Rainbow Canyon has taken on the nickname of Star Wars Canyon. Uh, It's an area that's been used by the military since the 1930s. And you can often see training flights zooming in the skies here. And I know on the last trip, there was some interest with, with the folks who are with us about going back home through this way 
with the hope of maybe seeing the, I think it was with the F-18s right. that fly down here. Right. And I, I think they fly like fairly, really low. fairly low. Yeah. yeah. So you might be able to catch a glimpse of the planes if you stop here. When we stopped, we did look at, there's a plaque that's embedded in a rock at the site that's in memory of Father Crowley. You and I, we stopped here, we snapped some photos, we looked at the, uh, the views. The plaque reads, from the snowy heights of the Sierras, beyond the deep shadows of Death Valley, beloved and trusted by peoples of all faiths, he led them toward a life's wider horizons. He passed this way. And this uh, plaque was dedicated by the Death Valley 49ers back on November 7th, 1963. So that could be your first stop as you make your way into Death Valley, a really nice vista point. But then you get back in your car, you keep driving to Death Valley, and what's the next thing you might see, Julie? Well, that's number two on our list would be the Mesquite Flat Dunes. We have been there twice. We have gone both times that we visited Death Valley. Yeah. The first time that we went, there wasn't a lot of people there. And no. we went walking through the dunes, uh, which I felt we were basically alone. I mean, this was one of those sites that we were, were driving up into Death Valley and we saw these sand dunes. I had yeah. no idea that they were going to yeah, be there. Yeah, we didn't know. Yeah. So it became for you and I, uh, hey, let's pull the car over mm-hmm. and do some exploration. Yeah. So we walked those dunes and uh, we went quite a ways in. This time we had stopped and didn't walk in quite as far, but there was lots of people there at, mm-hmm. the, at the second go around. And it was fine because they're, you know, in these times too, you kind of worry about what the crowds look like. Um, but there was still plenty of space between people. So that wasn't a problem. This is a site that the first time it really surprised us. The second time we stopped, um, it was still incredibly beautiful and you see it in a different way. The first time we went from the second time we went because we went, it was different times during the day. So when you go there and view these dunes, they're never the same. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, the wind is moving the sand around and the, and the sand never looks the same. And then depending on the time of the day, where the sun is will change the look of the dunes too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely gorgeous. It's magnificent and huge. And less than 1% of the desert is covered with these dunes. And the sand comes here from the nearby eroded canyons and the washes and they're supported by a seemingly ever-present wind and there definitely was wind both times that we went and the topography in this area is kind of the trap where the the sand gets trapped into it as the wind blows through it all seems to get trapped in this area the highest dune rises about a hundred feet and if you want to hike it, it's just under a mile to reach that the base of the highest dune. Yeah. But you're walking through sandy conditions, so yeah. it's a little different type of walking experience. It's a little harder. Yeah. Yeah, walking in sand harder. was a little bit harder. Yeah, especially when you're going uphill in sand. Mm-hmm. It can be done. We've done it. Oh, we've done it. Yeah, yeah we've done it. It's, it's a challenge, mm-hmm. but we've done it. So 100 feet may seem like not a lot, but when you're trying to climb up a hundred feet of sand it is a little bit challenging (laughs) harder to go up probably than to come down oh coming down is easy as i said you see all kinds of different shapes created by the sand there's also mesquite trees Mm -hmm. 
throughout the area that are the areas where it supports some life in the area. And as is always in the desert, life is kind of hidden. So you have to look really hard sometimes to find something living in the desert, but it's everywhere. It's all around the everywhere. desert. Yeah. So some options that you have for the dunes, depending on what your choices may be uh, as you're going through the area, is you can just drive by and admire the dunes from your car and slowly drive by it and take a look at it. Or there is a parking lot and you could park your car and get out of your car and go. There's a lot of placards just before you enter into the sand area and you could just read about the dunes, mm-hmm. uh, take some pictures from that area. Yeah. You see them a little up closer when you're in the parking lot. A little lot. bit. Yeah. yeah. Or you could take a few steps into the dunes you should and at least do that. I at think. least feel it. Yeah. At least walk in it, feel it, how you sink into it. And um, depending on when you go, we were there in the winter, so it wasn't hot. Some mm-hmm. people go mm. in the spring. It's a little bit warmer then. So it depends on when you go too. But um, it is every time, I think it's a different feeling. Slightly different experience. There. Yeah. yeah. You can be really adventurous and you can walk to the highest dune peak. Now, mind you, most people are not that adventurous. So I think if you go there, you're going to find most people are probably checking out the dunes very close to the parking lot. I think we've seen, you know, people kind of walk in a little bit, but it's very, very few people Mm -hmm. that make their way far out into the field of the yeah. dunes. And you could you could actually see them walking towards the highest dune and you'll see them on top. So and that's that. about a mile out from the parking lot. A little bit yeah. less than a mile, yeah. yeah. It's not that far. You can choose to just go to the base of it or you can walk completely walk to the top of it. It's yeah. up to you what you want to do. If you're a photographer, this is a fantastic place for photography. Mm-hmm. Check out sunrise if you're an early bird. Go there during sundown. And you will get some amazing pictures. Probably a great place for people who do black and white photography, I imagine. Oh, like, sure. Like if you yeah. can get pictures where you know, you've got the dunes and it's, it's all shade, shade on one side yeah. and lit on the other side. Yeah. So yeah, a great place to practice photography. Yeah. So it is a very popular spot and a lot of people stop and admire it. A lot of people get out and explore the area. There are other dunes in the area, but to get to those dunes, you really have to four-wheel it but they are there Mm -hmm. you just do some research and find out where to go these are the mesquite dunes are the only ones that you can actually sandboard down yeah i didn't see any of that i don't remember seeing that on either trip that we took to death valley but we uh last summer went to pismo beach and the oceano dunes and we had seen a number of people sandboarding there so um you're allowed to do that here yeah. at the Mesquite Dunes, too, as well. So if you have some kind of contraption, and I don't know if people use anything from cardboard to discs. The cardboard board. Or the discs probably yeah. would work. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if Some you hike words. your way up to the top of the dune, that highest dune, you yeah. just maybe slide your way back down. Boy, you'd be going real fast. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe, for sure. <laughs> maybe next time you and I might yeah. try that. <laughs> I love that. Let's get ready to get really sandy. Yeah. You cannot four-wheel it on these dunes, though. So it, within the National Park, there is no four-wheeling on the sand dunes. No dune buggies or Mm-mm. things of that sort. No, yeah. no. Very nearby is Stovepipe Wells Village. 
It's a very small little village, and it's right on the edge of the dunes. Mm-hmm. This area is where you can actually uh, pay your entrance fee while you're driving through the park. It also has a little shop area, general store. You can buy souvenirs there. There's snacks there, drinks. Across the street, there's an area where we stopped because it was around lunchtime that we had burger and fries at. It was a little restaurant. We were very lucky that we were able to get some food there because we did go during the COVID time. During lockdown. Yeah, and we were pretty lucky. The food was really good. It's called Toll House Restaurant, and they also have pizza available if you if you don't want a burger. Mm-hmm. So that kind of rounds out the Mesquite Dunes and uh, our next stop. Next stop would be, I think it's one of the iconic places in Death Valley. So you're going to continue driving down the road. You'll pass through the central area in Death Valley, which is Furnace Creek. That's where the visitor center is. There's a campground there. But if you keep driving down the road, you're going to get to the point that is known as Badwater Basin. And the thing that is notable about this location is that it is the lowest point in North America. It sits at 282 feet below sea level, and it was considered the lowest elevation in the Western Hemisphere until the discovery of Laguna del Carbon in Argentina, which has been measured to stand at 344 feet below sea level. So on the Western Hemisphere in North America, Badwater Basin is as low as you can go. When you get there, it's about 30 minutes south of Furnace Creek. There's a parking lot there. When you park your car, you look up to the mountains and you'll see a sign like 250 feet or more up in the mountains. And it's a marker for where sea level actually is. And it gives you that perspective of how far below the actual sea level it is that you're standing. So um, do you want to turn around, take a look at the mountains to see that, to get that perspective? But then you look out into this valley floor and there's this incredible, expansive, immense area of these salt flats that go on for about 200 square miles. It's composed of mostly sodium chloride or table salt, along with calcite, gypsum, and borax. You can walk out into the basin. There's a, a path that the round trip stroll will take you about a mile to the edge of the salt flat. It's all flat walking, so it's very easy to do. There's an ADA accessible ramp that leads down to the wooden boardwalk, and it's just um, a very special place. We have been here on both times that we went to Death Valley. The first trip that we took here, we drove out to Badwater Basin the first thing on whatever morning it was that, that we were there. And I remember it almost like was we had the place to ourselves, you know, so early. And it was neat to be there kind of in that desolation. Yeah. The second time that we were there was a very different experience and almost surprising to me because it was during the COVID time. It was so crowded and crowded to the point that I think you and I got kind of uncomfortable. We were uncomfortable. Because we were trying to do the whole social distance thing, very aware of that condition. And this is like the one place during this trip in Death Valley where the amount of the crowds became almost uncomfortable. And so we... uh, And there was people that didn't feel the need to wear masks and so the comfort level got to the point where 
I didn't go very far into yeah. the salt flats yeah. this time because yeah. it was just too many people out there. Yeah, and this the second trip was right between Christmas and New Year's, so it was a time when a lot of people had off. So mm-hmm, that probably mm-hmm. was one of the reasons there were the crowds in comparison to the prior time that we went, which was in the middle of January, mm-hmm. and uh, it was much more desolate mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of crowds and mm-hmm. amount of people. Oh yeah. Yeah. But in any event, super interesting point of geography. And one of the other really interesting, at least to me, things about this is so again, you're at Badwater Basin, the lowest point in North America, and just about one hundred miles away stands Mount Whitney, which is the highest elevation in, in the lower forty eight states at fourteen thousand five hundred and five feet above sea level. So in this 100 mile roughly area you've got the lowest point as well as the highest point in the united states the lower 48 so from a geographical standpoint pretty interesting so badwater basin stories are that the place earned its name when a mule belonging to an early surveyor refused to drink from the spring-fed pool near the present-day boardwalk but the water here is not truly bad it's just super super salty but despite how salty it is there's a lot of organisms that not only survive here but thrive here and there's Mm -hmm. uh, a number of salt tolerant plants that grow in the area adaption Mm mm-hmm and another one of those examples, like you mentioned about this abundance of life in the desert. Yeah. And yeah. there's life here yeah. at Badwater Basin as well. Yeah. Not visible to the eye, mm-hmm. but it is definitely all around you. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons, too, that when you take this path that goes out into the salty basin itself, that you stay on the path. And you don't start walking off the path, going places where you're actually crunching the formations that are there, where there's life abundant. Yeah, there's like microorganisms that live there. So they create this path for you to walk on, and they're sharing this area with you to give you this great experience. So let's not abuse it, people. Let's just stay on the path. Yeah. We mentioned the photography experience at Mesquite Dunes. This is another one of those places that... When you go there, you'll understand, but the landscape, it's fairly flat. It's absolutely immense. And it's one of those places where you take your camera and you set it down like almost at floor level and you get some amazing shots. My other tip is when you visit Badwater Basin, just based on our experience, I would arrive here super early. I would almost plan to make it like your first stop Mm -hmm. in the morning because then I think you may be more likely to avoid the crowds. I guess it depends on what kind of experience you want. If, if, if you want to see it and experience it kind of in the that desolate experience, I think early morning is the best time to do that. If on the other hand, if you want to be there with a whole bunch of people. And some people don't mind at all. Yeah, they love it. Diff- so it's, different strokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So once you're done with the Badwater Basin, back in the car you go. And if you start hitting out the way that If you head back the way of which you came, (laughs) you'll drive down the road a bit. And before you get to Furnace Creek, there's a sign for another stop. And we decided to turn down this road. It said Devil's Golf Course. We had friends with us on this trip and we split off and they went their own way. And at some point we met up with them and they said, hey, check out Devil's Golf Course. And we had never been there. So we turned uh, onto the road for Devil's 
golf course and it is a gravel road. Yeah, the asphalt had ceased. Yes, yes. So if you're not comfortable driving on a gravel road, some people turned around. We saw them turning, you know, they come onto the road and they turned around and went back. So it depends on what you're comfortable with in the car you're driving. Yeah. We had a truck, so we were fine. And we went down to the small parking area and you have an area... you can walk around and there's a placard there and you can read about why it's called the devil's golf course. So it's made up of large salt formations and they jut out from the mud and the dirt and the formations out of this incredibly unique landscape. Mm-hmm. And they kind of rise up, what do you would say, like about a foot in height, a foot well, and a half Well, some they say or... can go up as far as two feet. Okay. So you can get salt formations that go up as far as two feet. Mm -hmm. It is one of the largest protected salt pans in North America, and it continues to dump the deposits here from the reoccurring floods that happen in the area to this day. Be very careful. The placards and the signs will tell you so, and the formations can be very, very sharp. And they can cause pretty bad injury. And there is actual record of some pretty serious injuries from people wandering out into this landscape and getting quite cut up from the salt formations. This is not an area that you want to wander and you just want to admire it from the parking Mm -hmm. area. Yeah. They said there can even be broken bones in the area. And I think it's when you're just trying to navigate these formations, it's easy to fall. So just... Stay close to the parking area and you're going to see quite a bit just from that area right there. Mm -hmm. The salt pan is extremely massive. Yeah, Um, and the kind of formations that are here, I don't know that I've ever seen those kind of formations anywhere else. So you do get a chance to see something that's fairly unique. Yeah, and the name of this area, I think, has confused some people that have a love of golf. And they actually think there's a golf course here and they come out with their clubs until they realize that, no, this is not, I think you would be walking back pretty bloodied and battered if you tried to uh, do some golf out in this area. Yeah, leave the clubs um, There is a golf course in the area by Furnace Creek. So no okay. worries, golfers. Okay. There is a golf course. The salt formations are very, very delicate. So that's another reason to not tromp on them and walk upon them. And you just can just barely touch them and they can crumble. Some of them have these formations that we didn't see this. I didn't see it anyway. One of the reasons it's called Devil's Golf Course is that back in the 30s, it was stated that only the devil could play on such a surface. But I think that kind of evolved from some of these salt formations in the area had this very spherical look to it. They were hollow, Mm -hmm. but they were very spherical. And it kind of reminded people of golf balls, but super, super delicate. And one touch, they could just fall apart. So I think that's another reason that it's got this name. Mm -hmm. And if you really, really listen carefully, and if there's not a lot of people out in the area, you can actually hear little tiny pops and pings. And these are literally billions of tiny salt crystals that are bursting apart as they expand and contract in the the heat and the cold. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah. So it's a short little jaunt. We spent about 20 minutes there Mm -hmm. and that was enough for us. Mm -hmm. And we had a really, actually we had fun. Yeah. I think we had a really fun time there. We had our beautiful little niece with us and 
So it was fun with her and experience it with her. And then the sun was starting to set. So we were getting these fantastic pictures. It was just Of the great. truck against the mountains yes. with the sunlight hitting <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. It was like a brochure from the Ford company. It was awesome. Yes. It was awesome. So, so. We, had, we had a really good time in that one spot right there. And yeah. it's a very small spot, but it was fun. So that's uh, Devil's Golf Course, number four on our list. And um, we'll end our locations today with number five, which is in the same general area. And it's called Artist's Drive. And you and I had done this on our first trip out mm -hmm. to Death Valley that same morning that we went out to Badwater Basin. So the drive is located off of Badwater Road, just north of the Devil's Golf Course. And the start of the drive, you're going to see some signs off the road. It's clearly marked. It's going to take you about 45 minutes to drive through this area. Um, it's also a loop. Mm -hmm. So make sure you go in in the right direction. Yeah, it's nine miles in one mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. It does loop around, like you say. And the drive, it, it's pretty impressive. There's mountains, these towering mountains that loom out in front of you. Kind of a curvy road. The recommendation is if, if you have a vehicle that's longer than 25 feet, you are not allowed to go on it. So if you're pulling something, this yeah. is not the place to uh, pull your towable. But after about five miles into the drive, you're going to get to this visually magnificent area, which is called Artist Palette. And the colors here are beyond what you would imagine that you're going to see in desert mountains. I think, you know, when I think about the desert mm -hmm. mountains, I think about brown, maybe a little Sand. bit of black, kind of <laughs> sandy gray. But here you've got between, you know, the metals and the elements that are found in the ground, You've got these formations that go from purple to blue. There's greens, reds, pinks, yellows. It's like God took his, um, his pastel brush. box and dumped it out in this area. And mm -hmm. we've got pictures from that first visit. Yeah. And um, it's just spectacular scenery. So again, you know, it's the kind of vista that you're not likely to see anywhere else. It's pretty magnificent and it's well worth the drive. And again, I think it's one of those places that depending on the time of day that you go and depending on where the sun is at, it can look a little bit different from the morning mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. sunset. So that's a flavor of five initial things that you can do in Death Valley. And the five that we described, I mean, right there, you've got probably a, a day of exploration and a day of adventures, and there's much more to do. And we'll continue on the next episode with the next set of five. But before we do that... How about some fun facts? Let's talk about some fun things. So do you remember when we were talking about the dunes in Death Valley? And there's one particular spot that they use for filming at the dunes area. And this is where they film Star Wars episode four and six. And who has not seen Star Wars? I mean, we, I think everybody's seen Star Wars, right? You and so I grew up on Star Wars. We, yes, we grew up yes. on it. So for some reason, George Lucas picked this spot for a filming location and it actually, when I think about the movie, it's like, oh, it's perfect. It's just the absolute perfect spot for what he was trying to get across in his movie. So the landscape um, was the setting for C-3PO and R2-D2 as they made their trek through the desert on the fictional planet of Tatooine. I remember that well. Mm -hmm. See, I thought we were in Death Valley. We were actually on another planet. On <laughs> we, another were, planet. we were in Tatooine. Yes. Yes. It does. There are parts of the Death Valley. It does seem otherworld. It, it really does. Yep. One more 
Fun fact we'll talk about that may be familiar to most people, temperature and climate. So the highest recorded temperature ever recorded in the world was recorded right here at Death Valley's Furnace Creek back in July of 1913 when the thermometer pinged at 134 degrees Fahrenheit which I can't even imagine what that would be like. This last summer, you and I spent Labor Day weekend in an area where it was just north of 115, Mm -hmm. and that was a blazer. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine almost 20 degrees hotter than that. I mean, that's extreme. Yeah, yeah. But for almost 100 years, there was a false recording made in Libya that overshadowed Furnace Creek's claim to fame. But in 2012... The record went back to Death Valley after it was concluded that the Libyan recording was made in error. So you've got, again, you know, this desert landscape. It only receives less than two inches of rainfall annually. But in spite of how little rain that actually falls in Death Valley, there are instances occasionally of flash floods. Yeah, well, the storms are in the mountain. So the storms can be quite intense up in the mountains. Up in the hills, yeah. And then it's just all the water comes running down into the valleys and it can get quite dangerous if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And can cause a bit of destruction, which we'll talk about next time, some unfortunate incident that happened that impacts one of the places that we're going to talk about. But you'll have to tune in with us next time to hear about that and five more things to do in Death Valley National Park. So it's a phenomenal national Mm -hmm. park. If you've never been there, I would put it on your list if you're able to ever go. Though I would recommend kind of like you and I had gone. Both times we went was in the wintertime. And what I loved about that is... We were able to explore the entire day, so yeah. you don't have to worry about the heat right. and the dangers that come along with that mm-hmm. and, and kind of the health issues. But it's one of these magnificent places that we're lucky to have in mm-hmm. California. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, and I, we'll be back to Death Valley to explore some more. We will. And we'll be back next time to talk about more places that you can see in Death Valley National Park. Until then, thanks for joining us on the places where we go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.